0: Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Where we kind of left things this morning as we talked through creation last night, the fall this morning, and now we're looking at how do we restore life? How do we come alive even though we were once all dead in our trespasses? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 was one of the verses we looked at this morning and says, And you were dead in the trespass, that breaking of the covenant with God. And that was kind of illustrated in the drama, right? As, as the human character was starting to lead and, and follow that temptation and brings death into the world and death reigns. The beginning of Ephesians 2.4, but God, that there is hope for us. There's an answer to this eternal problem that threatens our life. It threatens the breath of God that is available to us. One of the other things we talked about this morning was covenants and we introduced that and we talked about the Edenic covenant that Adam and Eve were given the opportunity to rule and reign in the garden to have perfect unity with God. It even talks about how Adam and Eve would walk and talk with God in the cool of the day. But upon following evil, giving in to temptation, that we have eternal separation from a holy and perfect God, now, what is amazing about this is immediately after the Edenic covenant is broken, the second covenant in scripture is introduced, the Adamic covenant. That one day there would be victory over sin and victory over death, that this thing that threatens to remove life from us would be destroyed. And what's so amazing about this is, from the beginning of Scripture, from the beginning of Scripture, Genesis three fifteen, God is already saying, "I am going to take care of this, this problem that you have created. I am going to fix it." Genesis three fifteen says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring." And her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is a really amazing passage of scripture because even from the beginning, from Genesis 3, God is saying to Satan, Listen, you're going to try your best to ruin my creation, to ruin my beloved. And the closest you are ever going to get, the closest. That you were ever going to get is bruising his heel. And what's so incredible about this, so beautiful about this, is that when a Roman crucifixion would be performed, there would be a small block of wood just large enough for the person's heel to fit on it. And they would spend hours driving their body weight up and down on this heel. And normally, when a person was taken down off the cross, they would have a bruised heel. And God is saying from the beginning, listen, my son Jesus will one day crush you. And this is one of the first prophecies of Jesus that we see. But I want to kind of dig into this just for a moment to show how incredible this is, that God was planning this from the beginning. Does anybody have a a half dollar? Anybody have a half dollar? Do you really? Do you you actually... (laughs) wait but grace do you have you've got one grace oh man just mary poppins's bag over here golf balls and cantaloupes and half thank you so much okay so this is a do you actually have a half dollar (laughs) that's awesome okay um i don't need it i already have one thank you though (laughs) okay but half dollar not very big and I want you guys to understand something. This is one of the first prophecies of Jesus that's mentioned in Scripture, but there are over 300 prophecies throughout the Old Testament that speak to Jesus. And what's so insane about this just to give you guys a couple of them so the time of jesus's birth was prophesied the fact that he would be born in bethlehem the fact that he would be born of a virgin the fact that he would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver the fact that he would be mocked that he would be pierced that he would be crucified that he would die uh, with the wicked but he'd be buried with the rich these are just a handful of these over 300 prophecies in the old testament that will ultimately be fulfilled in christ the statistical probability that a random person could fulfill all of these prophecies is equivalent to taking one half dollar and signing it. And then placing it in the state of Texas, which is now covered two feet deep and half dollars. And randomly going into the state of Texas and picking up one half dollar and finding the exact same one that you signed. It is a statistical impossibility that this is random. But that from the very beginning of creation, God is creating this beautiful masterpiece, this beautiful plan to redeem his creation. When we were the ones that screwed it up. And this is the the beauty of God's plan and design, that even though we stray from him, even though we run from him, God steps in to redeem us. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. One of the biggest issues that Paul was dealing with in the early churches as they're starting to pop up after the time of Jesus, as there were church leaders that were showing up to church drunk, and they were getting prostitutes and bringing them with them to the temple, and there were all these different sin issues within the church. And Paul is pressing into this and saying, listen, just because Jesus gives you grace doesn't mean you can just live however you want to. So he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so grace may abound? Are we going to take God's grace for granted? Are we going to abuse it? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all who have been baptized, and that word means immersed or submerged, you have been immersed into Christ Jesus. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. If you are going to be one with Jesus, then you die like Jesus. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And while sin threatens death, when we willingly choose to die, we can truly come alive. And the beauty of this is Jesus brings us life. We talked about on Saturday, or excuse me, last night, how that Greek word zao means life. But it's not only defined as life, it is also defined as restored life, reviving life. See guys, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus steps into our Junk, he steps into the muck and mire, and he is just throwing out lifelines to each and every one of us, and he is pulling us up and out of death. He is reviving us, restoring us to a place of life out of death. And there's this beautiful example of this in Ezekiel 37. And I want you guys to to turn there if you have your Bibles, because we're going to really dig into this passage for a moment. Ezekiel 37, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. Now, Ezekiel was taken with some people from the nation of Israel into exile by another nation named Babylon. And after about five years of being in captivity, Ezekiel sits down on the riverbank one day, and he has this vision of God. God. And Ezekiel was being trained and raised up to be a priest. And he's sitting on this riverbank, and today is the, the day of this vision is his 30th birthday, the day he would have been appointed as a priest in Israel. And God calls out to him, and he refers to him as son of man, and he says, Son of man, I am going to appoint you to be a prophet over the nation of Israel. And Ezekiel is called to start ministering to the people in captivity in Babylon, because the nation of Israel have wandered from God. But Ezekiel is also called to bring a message of hope. This is so cool. I love this. Really awesome passage of Scripture. Let's look at this together. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. So, what it's saying there in that first verse is Ezekiel is having this vision from God. And he led me around among them. So, Ezekiel's being led by the Lord through this valley filled with bones, human bones. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Can these dead things come back to life? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. And that word prophesy can actually be translated as speak truth. Speak truth over these bones. Prophesy over these bones. And say to them, "O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord." Thus says the Lord God to these bones, "Behold, I will cause breath to enter you." And guys, what's so awesome about this passage? It is re it is retelling the creation story in Genesis. That just as God formed man of the dust and breathed into him, he became a living soul, now he's giving this vision to Ezekiel to say, "Listen, we got to do this again." I have to reestablish my people. Verse five, thus says the Lord to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews, that's the muscle fibers and tissue. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. I'm not going to lie. This sounds like the most terrifying horror movie ever. And then it says, but there was no breath in them. So they had the appearance of being alive, but they were not yet alive. And that's a, that's a sermon in and of itself. That's a challenge to us in and of ourselves. How many of us have the appearance of life? But the breath of God is not in us. Verse 9, then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Guys, the beauty of scriptures we see it time and time again. And some of you, when you're reading your Bibles, you think, man, I can't really understand the Old Testament. It gets really confusing. But guys, I want to challenge you. The beauty of the Old Testament, it shows us the character of God, that he keeps his promises, that he keeps his word. So he's saying, listen, I'm going to restore the nation of Israel. They have gone so far from me. They have walked away from me, betrayed me. They no longer worship me. They worship false idols and false gods. And God steps in and he says, even when they have strained so far from me, I can still bring new life out of nothing. We talked about the Edenic covenant. We talked about the Adamic covenant. Now we're talking about the new covenant. A new promise that through Christ we can have new life. That we can be brought back from the dead. Romans 5, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And what Paul's saying there is Adam was an image of who Jesus would be. Jesus is the new essence of humanity. He is who we we are supposed to be. But the free gift is not like the trespass, not like the rebellion. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Guys, what this passage is talking about is that through Adam, we have all sinned and we all have death. But through Christ, we can all have new life. And you think about what we talked about with that covenant this morning, that violating God's covenant meant physical and spiritual death. And that spiritual death being eternal separation from God. And the only way To pay that price was for someone to die, but that someone had to be perfect. Or the payment for that sin wasn't going to ever be permanent. So Jesus humbles himself, and he, as God, steps down from glory to be born of a virgin and come here to the earth and living a perfect life, is arrested in the middle of the night, in secret, when wicked men conspired against him. And he was mocked and spat on and he was beaten and scourged. And they whipped his back with whips and reeds and something called a cat of nine tails, which would have been nine leather straps with bone and clay and stone into them where it would have ripped through the skin and the muscle fibers down to the bone. And it says that he was beaten beyond recognition of a man. And then they take a a crown of thorns which was woven out of most likely a a tree called the jujube tree, and the thorns would have been an inch and a half long. And then driving a nail through the two bones, if you feel the two bones running in your arm, in between those two bones, because anatomically the wrist is considered part of the hand, because they couldn't go through the palm under the weight of the human body, the nail would have ripped out. And they would have stacked his feet one on top of the other. And Jesus didn't die through blood loss or through pain, but he suffocated. So, in his grand plan, out of deep love for you to breathe new life into you, he suffers, struggling to breathe and as he drives off the nails in his feet to push up, to try and catch his breath, he experiences excruciating pain through the nails in his feet, and then when he can't take it anymore, he sinks back down and goes right back to excruciating pain from the nails in his arms, and he transitions for hours between excruciating pain, excruciating pain, just trying to breathe. And as he's gasping for breath, he's saying things like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Saying it about the men who beat him and nailed him to the cross. And when he was ready to surrender his life for you and for me, He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it says that he took his last breath. And Jesus becomes the perfect propitiation. And I want to talk about that word for a second because it's so much more than just paying the cost of our sin. But propitiation means to win or regain the favor of God by doing something that pleases Him. And God looks on Jesus' sacrifice and accepts that sacrifice as perfect. What is so difficult and painful to me is that most of us look at our relationship with God and we assume that he is just barely tolerating us. That we assume that God's mindset, we look at God and we assume, God, that your mindset towards me is you are just barely putting up with me. But Ephesians 2, 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. was talking with somebody earlier today who told me that there was a group of girls here that were asking this question of why would God create us if we knew we were going to screw it up? And I don't know if that's a question I would have been able to answer before having my kids. You know my wife always jokes, she always makes this comment. And she chuckles about it. Have kids, they said. It'll be fun, they said. And there are days that my wife and I want to pull our hair out. We're so exhausted because our kids are driving us insane. But a couple years ago, when my oldest son was about two, I came home one day and I got to the door right off of our garage and I opened it up into our kitchen. And I hear my son Elliot come from our back porch running through the quick kitchen going, Daddy! And that Sunday, I'm sitting in church and I'm worshiping, and the Lord brings that to my mind. And He says, That's all I've ever wanted from you. Just that. I just want you to run to me and cry, Father. I don't need you to to be perfect. I don't look at my youngest son, Ali, and he's doing that now. I come home from work and I open up the front door and he comes running through the house, Dad! And he's kept me up till three in the morning. And he does that the next day and I I don't remember I can't remember what he had done wrong so the idea of why would God create us if we're just going to screw it up because he wanted the beauty of his creation to fully receive his love and it's so easy to love somebody when they're doing all the things you want them to do, right? It's so easy to love your friends. It's so easy to love your family members. It's hard to love your enemies. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He willed it by grace You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, I'm gonna bring you up out of death. He says, no, I want to bring you all the way up to heaven with me in glory. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. I want to look at that phrase, the immeasurable riches of his grace. What that phrase means is an overabundance, which means you can never outsin the grace of God. It does not matter if you spent 23 hours and 59 minutes of the day lying and cheating and stealing, wallowing in depression, crippled by anxiety, hateful towards the person who assaulted you. But in a singular moment that you choose to run and say, Father, He casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, there is no end to east and west. The immeasurable riches, the overabundance of his grace and kindness towards you. In Christ Jesus, because of that sacrifice and the beauty of the gospel, that in our death we can have new life by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone the word says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that he died on the cross for our sins we will be saved would you guys pray with me because of the grace and the mercy you have shown to us God we are able to cry out to you Abba Father That term Abba being a term of intimacy and connection you are not some far-off distant God even though you are so grand and large that you breathe out the stars that by your word, the heavens are formed and you have the power and the authority to say how life should go. And what you've asked of us is to walk perfectly with you, but we can't do it. We sin, we rebel, we violate trust with you, we break covenants with you. But God, Being rich in mercy, according to the overabundance, the immeasurable riches of His grace that He shows towards us, you offer us a free way into eternity with You. And it comes through the God man Christ Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross. And, Lord, if there's anybody in here that has turned from you, they've experienced life in Christ, but that life they've been living, they've never left the grave. They woke up from the dead, but they've never left the tomb. Would you fill them in a deeper way with your spirit to give them boldness and confidence that we turn with confidence to the throne of grace and we can run out of the grave. And Father, if there's anyone in here that does not yet know you, they are dead in their trespasses and sins and they wanna experience that new life. They wanna walk in newness of life. They wanna run in newness of life. If that's you, right now, would you pray this prayer with me between you and God? This is between you and the Lord. You're gonna make a new covenant with him. You're gonna enter into this new covenant that's possible through Jesus. Just repeat after me between you and God. Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that my sin has separated me from you. But I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that Jesus did what he said he did. And I want you to be the Lord of my life. Would you breathe new life into me? If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you just look up and make eye contact with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, just look up and make eye contact with me. Praise God, I see you. Immeasurable riches of his grace cover a multitude of sins. Lord, we are so unworthy, but you look at us and say you are worth my love, and my affection. Father, we have nothing we can offer you except our praise and our worship. You are so worthy of everything we have to offer you and more. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.